Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Danger gleams like sunshine to a brave man's eyes. Euripides. And they, right. kind, of, you know, they kind of sat there, and <laughs> I started getting close, and I and I was, you know, I got, I got my camera and I put it down. I was, you know, to do my little yo-yo thing, right? And then I kind of realized maybe I should get too close to these guys because they weren't backing up, and they started, you know, pawing the ground, and one of them started to kind of, I almost want to say, bluff charge a little bit. So at that point, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. You know, I sat there for maybe 20, 20 minutes and did a little negotiation, but it didn't work out. They didn't listen to me. So I eventually just kind of had to do a detour, kind of on the side of a cliff, just to kind of get around them. I don't know what else, I don't know what you're supposed to do with bison. I've never encountered them on a trail before. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirt Bags and Hiker Trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. This week, we are talking to through hiker and storyteller, David Poston. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirror Pod, David. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. I listened to a fever podcast and I'm looking forward to listening to some more of these. So, Okay. Well, thank you very much. Then you are familiar with the format. Um, you know, we only go by trail name here on the podcast, if at all possible. So doc is not what's on my paycheck or on my driver's license, but uh, that's what I go by here on the podcast. Have you, in all your journeys, have you picked up a trail name? I have. My trail name is Yo-Yo. Would you like to hear Yo-Yo. Okay. And we love, we love to hear the stories behind the trail name acquisition. Do you have a good story? I do. So this is back in 2017 when I first attempted the Colorado trail. 
And I remember my first, it was in the first couple of days when I kind of met up with my trail family, what, what, what eventually became my trail family. And what I, what I've experienced on the trail was just this habit, I guess, of kind of going back and forth on the trail. So I think that actually the person that gave me my trail name, um, her name is Twig. And this was actually her first through hike as well. Uh, she's since gone on to do, you know, well over 10,000 miles and then all the, you know, all the, all the uh, major trails and, and elsewhere. But um, yeah, that's kind of where I got my name, just kind of, kind of leapfrogging with people, I guess. And uh, I kind of have a habit of kind of sleeping in in the morning. So I sometimes will get up a little bit late and then uh, I wake up, everyone's gone. And then all of a sudden I show up and there's Yo-Yo again. He's, he's ahead of us. And I tend to be somewhat of a fast hiker, I guess, sometimes. Uh, the other thing I do is I do a lot, if you ever watch any of my videos, I do a lot of uh, cameras. Well, I'll put my tripod down and I'll just walk back and forth. So if you see me in my videos, I'm really far away. And that means I'm going to walk all the way back. So <laughs> I've kind of, I've kind of developed a personality of kind of going back and forth on the trail. So um, a lot of people ask me if I've done a yo-yo and I have not done a yo-yo yet, but uh, I do kind of yo-yo the trail just as I go along, just getting these videos. So <laughs> that's, that's great. I know, I, know, yeah. I know from watching a lot of hiking videos out there, the best ones are the ones that have that B-roll footage of, you know, someone set up a camera in advance and then uh, walked passed it and then gone back and picked it up and packed it up and, and then continued on again. I know that's an awful lot of extra walking and a lot of extra work, but man, the videos that come out of that kind of uh, effort are, are worth it. I think. Yeah, that's basically what I do. I, you know, I used to start uh, vlogging my hikes where I talked to the camera and I think I started off with the GoPro originally, and then, you know, got a real camera and then kind of moved up from there and got more into the cinematography of things. And that's kind of been, so I've been working on lately is trying to produce, you know, higher quality videos and, you know, kind of want to get those shots. So I'm always putting the camera down, like, you know, this looks like a cool shot. And then I go ahead and just walk out the trail and I may walk down for, I don't know, up to a 10th of a mile and then walk back. So I'm often hiking these trails twice. It's a lot of work, but I enjoy it. <laughs> now, so. have you adopted a, a particular type of video style from anybody out there? You know, we've had on the podcast here, we've had Jupiter hikes, we've had Ivy tap, we've had uh, tip tap. Uh, Elena Osborne, and they all have, they all have very distinct video styles and uh, do a fantastic job out there. Have you seen any of those or? Uh, oh you yeah, for sure. For sure. From, Definitely. From, from I've elsewhere? seen, you know, I, I would say I was actually inspired to hike the Colorado trail after watching John Zahurian's uh, FKT video. I don't know if you've seen that one, but uh, I think, I think it's, if you go to his website, I think you can find it, but uh, it used to be up there for a while. But so I watched that video and I've watched, you know, most of his videos uh, and I was inspired by him a lot, I think. And then I also recently started watching Craig Adams. I don't know if you've seen him on YouTube. No, I, he's on, he's on a through hiker, but he's got a lot of subscribers and he goes out and does, I think, shorter trips. I think he's based in Brooklyn, actually. And he goes out the shorter trips, but look him up, Craig Adams. He's got a pretty big following, but uh, he's I think he's more into the cinematography and it's more of like a silent style of hiking. So if you look at my videos, I don't really talk much in the videos. And I just kind of focus on kind of nature centric cinematic type videos, uh, either just, you know, ambient sounds, you know, the sounds of what you would experience on the trail or just, you know, music and so forth. So I think I've kind of adapted his style of, uh, of videos. I don't really vlog so, so much. Um, I personally don't have a whole lot of interesting things to say, I feel like. So I, I feel like I want to show the trail. So I want to show what the trail looks like and, uh, you know, I guess show myself walking on the trail. But that, that's kind of some influences that I've 
and I watched a bunch of other videos, Jupiter, of course, um, you know, all the, all the, all these people on YouTube, it definitely influenced me in different ways, I would say. So yeah, a bunch of different YouTube channels is what I watch. Right. And, and just to head off some nasty DMS, I want to make sure that I also recognize, you know, Chris Carter for doing oh, a fantastic yeah. job with his video. Billy Yang uh, does a great job. Um, and also Chris Smead of Outmersive Films. Has, has oh just yeah, definitely tremendous. for sure. I've seen, you know, I haven't watched, uh, I need to watch some of those. Uh, the one that Chris has done, uh, both Chris's actually, but yeah, I follow both of them on Instagram. And I also, yeah, I've seen uh, some of Chris Smead's work and that's kind of the, I guess, that's kind of what I ultimately would like to do is do like a documentary. Um, uh, I'm going to be back on the PCT this year. I'd like to do more interviews not, you know, not vlogging to myself, but like talk to other people and get their experiences on the trail and then maybe kind of piece that together. But that's definitely, definitely, uh, they make some pretty good, high quality videos, I would say for sure. Yeah. There are a lot of different people on the trails and it's not so much, you know, you, it's not that I want to hear about the hiking as much as I want to hear about the stories behind the people and what, what brought them there and what kind of, you know, strange experiences they've had out there. I mean, that's, that's really entertaining. I think for folks to kind of get to know the people and then hear, hear about what, what happened to them out there. Yeah. If you watch Selena Osborne, how do you pronounce her name? Yeah. She, uh, she really, uh, well, first of all, she's really up her game in terms of the cinema, you know, cinematography and uh, the camera work and everything, but their interviews are really interesting. And I feel like that's kind of what makes the trail, right? The trail is, you know, it's the places that you go, but it's also the people that you meet. That's, that's one of the things I first learned, you know, as a kind of a budding through hiker is kind of, you know, getting a trail fam, you know, getting a trail name. And that's kind of like, you know, part of the, as you would say, the cult, right. I've been, I've heard some of your podcasts. It's not your first, (laughs) it's a cult, but you know, it's, it's, it's one that, um, you know, it's one that you want to belong to. It's, I mean, you've, it's, it's an interesting cult, right. Mm -hmm. It's definitely something. And, so, yeah, I would like to do more of that. Uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe sometime in the future, do an actual documentary, but uh, this is kind of a side thing for me, but I really enjoy it, making the videos. Yeah. So, I mean, wouldn't that be the dream? I mean, being out there, uh, making a documentary on site, out there in the middle of nowhere and uh, j- just doing what you love. I mean, fantastic. I don't know if you've seen the new film that or the series that came out uh, called Through. Have you seen that? Any of that? I, I have not seen Through. What, what, uh, so what I think the guy, I think it's Andy Laub, L-A-U-B, and then uh, Peter Hofhauser, I think. Uh, so they just came out, they, it was a through hike of the PNT, I think. Uh, they were working on it a couple of years ago, maybe like 2019, around there. And it's been a long time in production, but they just launched, I think it just released on Outside Plus. I think you have to be a subscriber to Outside Plus. Um, so if you have, if you have the Gaia app, you can up, I think you can upgrade to that and then uh, get the outside plus. I think it's also the, the outdoor magazine, right. As far as I know. Right. But right. I just started watching that um, recently and it's really well filmed and just, you can see all the work they put into it in terms of the, all the gear they brought to film it and so forth. So. Yeah. And I think, I think those outside type documentaries have a dual purpose. I mean, not only do you get to do what you love out there and talk to people and hear from them, but then you also get to spread their story to more people and, and get, you know, expose the outdoors to more people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's definitely one of the goals that I have is to kind of bring awareness to uh, these trails. A lot of people, you know, talk to people and you, know, you ask them, you know, you tell them, you know, I'm going to be hiking the PCT. And they're like, what's that? What's the PCT? And then, and then they find out there's actually a trail that's 2,650 miles. And they're like, well, you know, what is this? It would be crazy enough to actually do this, right? Right. <laughs> but uh, 
Yeah, yeah that, that is, is, that is one that... of my favorite moments is talking to through hikers and finding out that that time where they first realized that there was such a thing as a a trail that goes 2,650 miles from Mexico to Canada. And, you know, just being yeah, I, hearing about having their, their mind blown, realizing that that thing exists. I remember hearing about the, you know, the AT and the PCT and just thinking to myself, wow, these guys would be crazy. I mean, how many people actually do this? I've, I think I heard about it. I mean, this is probably well over 10 years now, but I don't think at the time when I heard about it, it was as popular as today. So now you see a, a lot of people out there, right? And so I just kind of thought about it as, you know, just a few crazy people. I thought, well, you know, maybe one day I would consider it, but uh, I never really, you know, gave it serious thought initially. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Now I am happy to hear that you've listened to a few episodes. You are obviously just from your, your opening comments here, you are very familiar with the format of the podcast. So I really don't have to spend a whole lot of time telling you about a segment that happens towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week. That's where I'll turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So feel free to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode, but you will be on the hook for one at the end as well. All right. I'll think about that. Yeah. I've, I've had I've got a couple of things, but in my mind, but I'll, I'll think on that. Okay. Very good. And that brings us to our first segment. The must bring gear review. There you go. That's half calf. That's my youngest daughter who is helping out with her faux, I don't know if it's in English or an Australian or a New Zealand accent. Uh, I, I don't think she knows either, but uh, this brings us to our must bring gear review sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Yo-Yo, what is your must-bring piece of gear? Hmm. This is going to be a tough one because I'm, uh, you know, kind of a minimalist, so I try to only bring exactly what I need and nothing else. But I would probably have to say my sleeping pad, actually. So I'm actually, you know, despite the fact that I'm kind of, kind of a minimalist, I bring a full-length sleeping pad. So I think just, I don't know, I like to be comfortable on the trail. And that's one of the things that I've always... You know, I just, I, I, I got to get a good night's rest, right? So I can hike the next day. So I think, I think having the sleeping pad, uh, you were asking, you were asking about the, the brand and so forth. So I am using, it's actually not one that I see a lot on the trail. It's the X-Ped, uh, I think it's called the Hyperlight. And it's actually in a medium wide, which is not really considered ultralight for a lot of people, <laughs> but. Uh, you don't but look yeah. like a medium, you don't look like a medium wide. I'm not a medium wide, but I like to be comfortable. So yes. It's not, it's not super heavy. I think it's around 15 ounces, but, um, okay. And is it, is it not a, and you said fold it folds is this was no, not no, no, inflatable. inflatable, a fully oh, inflatable. Okay. Yeah. It's inflatable. Definitely. Yeah. Got that's it. what I was going to say is I got to have inflatable pad to get, uh, I got to have some comfort at night. So I definitely got to get, get a good night's rest. Right. Uh-huh. And now with it being extra really, wide, I mean, do you, yeah. do you move around a lot at night? I mean, is that why? Um, I do, I think. But I think it's just, you know, one of the things that always been annoying to me is, you know, you got your elbows and they kind of don't really rest on the pad. And, and th this one kind of tapers. It's, you know, it's like a mummy design. So it is designed to be ultra light, but it's, it gives you kind of that width is what I found is my experiences. So I think when I first started hiking, I just couldn't get a good night's rest. I just couldn't figure it out. I mean, it was either my, my sleeping bag was too, was, it wasn't warm enough, right? It didn't have a good pad. And, you know, I tried the, the foam pads, try to make that work. But, and I know people out there. Uh, you know, I know Jupiter uses the one eighth inch uh, foam pad and 
I would love to get there one day, but <laughs> it's not happening for me. I got to have the, uh, the comfy pad. I got to have the full length inflatable for me. Yeah. I think if you go with a one eighth inch foam pad, I mean, you have to be good at it to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have right. to be able to exist in that space and not be bothered by it. Yeah. I think that's where I draw the line. I've got, I've got to be comfortable. I got to get a good night's sleep if I'm going to be on the trail and, and get those miles in the next day. So, so yeah, I guess it's got to be the pad. There's, I mean, there's a lot of things that I, that I really want to bring with me, but I've got to have that pad and get a nice rest. Okay. So I can go to sleep. Excellent. Now to, to continue the gear conversation, we're going to move into our next segment. It's the hiking pole. That's right. The hiking pole. And it is, it's not P O L E like the one you carry in your hand to help you uphill and downhill. This is P O L L like a survey. And my, my co-host chopper, my occasional co-host chopper, he loves it when I explain this in detail because there's very little reaction from, from the guests. I, I think it's a very clever play on words, but uh, nobody else seems to be too impressed by it. But here we are, the hiking pole. This, these are seven questions that's going to help me rank you on a score from one to a hundred on the crazy scale. And so, uh, you know, 100 to be completely sane, which nobody has scored that high ever. And one is completely insane. And, and nobody, to be fair, has, has scored that low either. So it's usually uh, somewhere in the middle. So you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. This will reveal what kind, of a, what kind of a hiker you are. And it'll help us talk about, you know, the reasons behind your choices. So first question, pretty easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Definitely trekking poles. In fact, I, should, I probably could have mentioned trekking poles as that item that I've got to have. And I've got to have trekking poles for sure. Okay. And... Um, well, we'll get to, I have a follow-up question, but I can actually fit it into one of the the later questions here. All right. Next question, boots or trail runners? Definitely trail runners. I started off in boots as everyone I think does. And just, I had a miserable time. Um, yeah, I can't see myself ever wearing boots again, even the winter time. So, yeah. Okay. And now you, you mentioned that you're a minimalist and I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear, did you start off a minimalist or did you, did you like most other people kind of over, over prepare, overpack? and bring more than you needed uh, on that first hike and then decided, you know what, this is, this is not the way to do this. I need to pare it back a bit. I definitely, I, I would say I was kind of in the middle. I definitely was aware of, you know, trying to, you know, I have a history of, I've got actually a stress fracture on one of my lumbar going back to high school from weightlifting. So uh, I do get back pain occasionally. So I was kind of aware of, you know, the fact that I've got to, you know, I wasn't, I didn't start off with a 50 pound pack, but it definitely wasn't ultra light. It wasn't below 10 pounds uh, base weight. So uh, but I started off, you know, with, you know, you go to REI, you buy the typical stuff, right? You go to REI and, you know, let's, you know, you get the boots and so forth. I remember I had these, I think they were uh, heavy letter. They were like, they might've been from like LL Bean or something, you know, they were like these really heavy letter boots, you know, the kind of stuff that you would, you know, like mountaineering or something. I, I remember wearing those and just being like, man, this is not fun. You know, this is, and just, just, you know, hiking for, I remember back then I thought 10 miles is a big day, right? So I think I did a section, uh, it was on the Colorado trail or in Rocky mountain national park. And I just remember just like, just dragging myself down the trail. Right. And it was just, it was not fun, not fun. So I think, I think switching to the trail owners made a big, was a big deal for me. Yeah. I think there's a kind of a, kind of a trend. I think it's pretty common that people have this idealized notion of what hiking and backpacking is, what it's about. And they think, you know, it's, it's just walking. I mean, how, how difficult can it be? And they, when they, they've got a hike coming up, they will go out and this is not everybody, but a lot of people they'll go out to their real retailer and pick up what they think they need and 
then they'll go do it. And, you know, typically, you know, they'll have boots. They'll start off with boots. Cause that's, you know, hiking boots. I mean, that's what you do. You put on boots when you go hike yeah, yeah. and then they realize later on, Hey, there's, there's all kinds of other options. And I, um, and, and yeah, I remember thinking carrying... myself that ever, if I were to you know, wear shoes, I might actually, you know, sprain my ankle in the first, you know, hundred yards or something. Like I had this fear, right. Right. And I think a lot of people have that fear, you know, a fear of, uh, you know, you know, bringing a tarp, the fear of, you know, bringing a shelter that sets up your trekking poles. You know, what if your trekking poles break? You know, what if, what if this happens and you know, you gotta have a free, you gotta have a freestanding tent, right. It's gotta, you gotta have all this, you gotta have this and that, and you know, an extra this and extra that. And then you realize you don't really need it. Right. Right. I mean, it kind of comes with experience, I think. Over That's time. right. Exactly. But, it. Exactly. So. It. And that leads right into the third question. I mean, and, and also my follow-up question with the trekking poles is, you know, what is your preferred shelter situation? Tent, tarp, hammock bivy or cowboy camping i mean i would say this is going to kind of depend um i would say i'm going to go with a tarp if i can get away with it so if there's not going to be any bugs i'm going to be in a tarp so i mean I just did it did it overnight this past weekend on the appalachian trail and i brought a tarp and i would say anywhere out west there's not going to be really bugs uh, i would bring a tarp but uh, if i'm going to be in washington on the pct i'm going to have a tent now, what are the benefits of the tarp? If the conditions are right, what are the benefits of the tarp? Why not just have a tent? Uh, for me, it's the weight. I pretty much count every single gram. <laughs> so I've got a spreadsheet and I've got to, you know, whittle it down to, you know, as, as small as I possibly can. So it's, it comes out of the weight. I think also, um, I mean, there's advantages of a tarp, right? Uh, if, you, if you want a cowboy camp, you can just, you know, set it down, lay on top of it. Uh, you know, if you're in a thunderstorm in Colorado, 12,000 feet, and uh, you need something to throw on top of you really quickly, uh, you just, you know, a tarp is handy to have, you know, knowing from experience. So I think in, in some ways it's more versatile, right? In some ways, um, there could be advantages of a tarp, but there's definitely disadvantages, I would say. Um, it's definitely not something you want to start off with on your first backpacking trip. I would definitely kind of ease into it for sure. Sure. And that's a solid answer. It depends. It depends on the, yeah. the conditions and the situation where you are, you know, what the, what the, what the bug count is and all that good stuff. But um, I like the fact that you said that you've got a spreadsheet. That gives me a little insight into your Multiple personality. Multiple spreadsheets. I've got a spreadsheet for every trip. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You're a spreadsheet guy. You're a yeah. logistics guy uh, and an analysis guy. Well, I'm a scientist, basically. Well, I mean, I, I teach science, so I'm always trying to maximize efficiency and, and looking at how I can, you know, change this or change that. So nice, nice. All right. How about your sleeping system? You prefer a sleeping bag or a quilt? Definitely a quilt. I started off with sleeping bags. Everyone does. You go to REI, you buy a sleeping bag and everything. But I definitely moved on to a quilt when I, when I you know, switched out the boots and so forth. So, and for me, that was one of the big, big revelations. You know, the idea that you could actually be comfortable with a quilt, right? Because a lot of people think that you've got to have a sleeping bag to be totally warm. And that hasn't been the case for me. And now I haven't really done, you know, winter mountaineering and so forth. So I haven't, you know, tried to do anything crazy in the wintertime, but uh, I've, you know, used quilts year round pretty much. So yeah, definitely a quilt for me. Nice. All right. This next question, very important question, big possible point deduction here. So be careful mm. with this one stove, cold soak or stoveless. Hmm. This one's going to be a little bit different. I think than most people, cause I actually don't own a, uh, what would you call it? I don't own a canister stove. Uh, I do own an Esbit stove. So I would say I generally am going to bring Esbit. Um, if, if there's going to be like a fire ban or something, I'm just going to cold soak. 
So for me, okay, it's so, so, so d- define define the stove as bit. You said as bit. Uh, as bit. I, I guess a lot of people know about it because a lot you know people hear about the alcohol stoves and right and so forth and those are definitely uh, you know they definitely can cause forest fires. As bit is a solid fuel, and so essentially you just light the uh, the it's a cube and actually I think it was developed. It's going back I think to Germany like in the 1940s. It's been around for a long time, but it's a solid fuel. And you can ship it through the mail. You can put it in a resupply box. And uh, my stove weighs about three grams. It's just a piece of titanium. And I've lost it before, but you just set the esbit on a rock and then light it up. And then there you go. You're good to go. And do you, what do you have? You have a, a Tokes uh, uh, canister to hold over? Um, I've got, well, I've got a system from, I think it's called Trail Design. And so it comes with a built-in winds, a windscreen and a pot stand built in. And you can coil it up to made of titanium and you just put it in your pot. And so I think I've got like an ever new 650 milliliter pot. So it's like, you know, pretty small pot. Mm-hmm. And then that just goes on top. And then you just light the Esbit. And, uh, you know, it, it burns for a while. It, you know, it's, it's only need about half an ounce to cook dinner. And that's pretty much it. That's okay. all I need. And, and, so I just smell the Esbit cubes. Yeah. Okay. And I imagine that it takes a little bit longer to bring something to a boil with, with the Esbit cube. Definitely does not as convenient as a canister stove. I always found the canister stoves, in my experience, not very uh, well. One of the issues you have is how, how do you know how much fuel you have? You, you end up bringing two, right? Because you don't know how much is left, and then you've got the canister to dispose of. So there's a lot of environmental reasons not to have canister stoves, and you know, in terms of weight, there's a huge weight savings just not bringing the canister, and also the space it takes up. So I've been using Esbert for probably I don't know, at least eight, eight or nine years, a long time. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to bring the Esbit and if there's going to be a fire ban, um, I'm just going to cold soak. Okay. So yeah, that is one of the most interesting and unique answers we've received for that question. So congratulations. Thank you. All right. Question number six, life is better above or below the tree line. Hmm. I want to say above. I think that's one of the things, I mean, I think that's what I look forward to is the kind of the Alpine experience, right? Being above tree line and, and just being up there, you know, you know, all the views and so forth. Um, that said, I, I mean, there's times when I've definitely gotten below tree line. If I'm going to be in a storm, I don't want to be up above tree line, um, you know, in Colorado at 12,000, 13,000 feet, <laughs> middle mm-hmm. of thunderstorm, but um, I want to say above tree line. I'm going to go with above the tree line on that one. Solid answer. Solid. Yeah. And I think I know the answer for this question. Do you pack for comfort or speed? You know, for me, I'm going to say it's both. And so, you know, I'm kind of one of those people where, you know, like I said before, I bring a full length inflatable pad, but I've also got a base weight, you know, around seven pounds plus camera gear. So I've kind of whittled it down and it comes back to efficiency. So I'm actually, I'm actually bringing a pillow, but I'm also... Uh, bringing an asbestos stove. I'm also bringing gear that is, you know, quite a bit lighter and more minimal than a lot of people I think would bring. So for me, it's more about creativity and thinking, uh, thinking about ways you can still be comfortable and safe, but also be ultra light. Okay. So, very strategic. Yeah. All right. Let me do some quick math here. We're going to carry the, uh, carry the two. We're going to multiply by two astronomical units divide by the height of Mount Whitney and multiply that by pi and it comes out to a solid 64. And you should wear that as a, I'll trust you on that one. Yeah. You you should, you should wear that as a badge of honor because uh, very interesting answers. And uh, you you definitely, you know, the completely sane person is out there carrying all the, the stuff that they think 
you know, they haven't actually experienced, but they think this is what they need to bring. And you've done, you put a lot of thought into this and you're pushing the, pushing the envelope on a few, few of the edges. So congratulations. Well, no, I don't, I don't want to be totally sane. I don't want to be totally sane, right? That's right. Where's, what's the fun yeah. in that? I know you got to be a little bit crazy to be out on these trails, you know. Absolutely. In fact, the fact that you, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later, the fact that you did the Colorado trail, I mean, that's an automatic point deduction. Anybody who does a, okay. a several hundred mile through hike, that's a, you know, an automatic deduction. So good to know. Okay. Hey, before we get food too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. We'd love to hear about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you were involved in and how you got involved in, yes, the through hiking cult. How'd you get dragged in? So tell us about uh, your yeah. origin story. Sure. I grew up in, uh, in Texas, in Houston, Texas. Um, my parents, I was born in Illinois. My parents had moved down there when I was a child. Um, my dad was in the oil and gas industry. He was an accountant, um, ex-military. Um, I wasn't really, you know, you know, you know, being in the military, I think, you know, he took us out, you know, we went camping and so forth. Right. So we go out and, you know, go car camping and uh that kind of thing you know i had a brother that was only child uh no i have actually better than a sister so i've got it i'm the oldest of three but i've got a younger brother and and we're you know we were only two years apart so we're almost like twins and we used to hang out and i remember when i was a kid uh you know i grew up in the city but we'd go out and we'd uh you know go go camping and stuff like that we go on trips road trips and so forth right so my parents would take us out on road trips so I definitely, you know, appreciated the outdoors. I was never really into, you know, never did any backpacking. So my parents never really uh, took me out, you know, for overnight trips and so forth. So I wasn't really exposed to that. That wasn't until my adult life, I would say. But um, I definitely, oh, hobby, you asked about hobbies. Um, I don't know. I didn't really have any uh, outdoor related hobby. I mean, other than just going out and going camping and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um not really any sports. I did, I did. I studied martial arts. If that counts as a sport, I don't know. Sure. Yeah. That taught me a lot of discipline, I guess. And maybe that carries over the trail. So it taught me a lot of discipline about, you know, being able to, you know, push through pain and that kind of thing, being able to kind of, uh, not give up because it was kind of, it was kind of tough. I did, I did Taekwondo for quite some time and I remember being beat up a lot of, I do a lot of, you know, sparring and a lot of physical activity. So, you know, I was, you know, relatively physically fit and, uh, you know, did a lot of running and, uh, and went to the gym and a lot and so forth. So definitely into the fitness aspect for sure. Okay. And, and what was the allure of the trail? I mean, how did you, how did you get, when did, when did the idea first pop into your head that it'd be a good idea to throw everything on your back and go spend days on end out in the wilderness? Well, my first, I, I think I kind of eased into it, but my first experience was, you know, my sister moved up to, to Denver uh, well over 10 years ago, Denver, Colorado. I remember going there to visit her uh, in the wintertime. And we went to Rocky Mountain National Park. I remember we went snowshoeing. I think it was up to Flat Top Mountain, which is in Rocky Mountain National Park. And I was like, wow, this world is, you know, I had never seen anything like that. You know, growing up in Texas, uh, at least in, in Houston, we don't really have big mountains. We kind of do out west, but I'd not really been around mountains much. So, you know, I kind of was intrigued by, you know, the whole outdoor experience. So that's when I kind of got into backpacking, I guess, is I kind of, eased into it. Uh, I did my first trip in Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, that was actually way back before they actually required bear campers. So quite a long time ago. I think it was over 10 years ago. Okay. And that was my first trip. Now ever. is your sister or your, your sister and brother similarly minded with the outdoors? And do they do a lot of backpacking and hiking? And camping? Um, my brother, not so much. Um, he's since moved on. He, he's uh, moved overseas, moved out, he moved to Europe and then he hasn't been back to the States in over, I think over 15 years, but my sister, uh, 
she actually has hiked the Colorado Trail. So she, okay. uh, she's, she's through hiked it. Yeah. So she, uh, she's not as serious as I am now about, about uh, the trail, but she definitely has, uh, definitely enjoys the outdoors and, and tries to get out. Her and her husband, actually. Okay. Yeah. So another, another brother sister uh, tandem out there. Uh, I know that Elena Osborne and her brother hiked the PCT. He was ahead because he, his permit date was sooner than hers. So he was ahead of her for most of the trail. I think she may have ended up catching him towards the end. But uh, yeah, I realized sister I, actually I saw, through, like, I the CT. seen much of, uh, no, I've seen some of her videos, but I don't remember seeing him in there. Is he, is he in the, in the doc? I'm trying to think if he's in there. I don't think so. I think, I think the, for the most part, she was, she was behind him a, a good pace. So there may be some stuff, maybe at the very end where he's in it. But other than that, I don't think, I don't think they were together on the trail. But there definitely was motivation to do the CT. In fact, she's my younger sister by about uh, four or five years. And so she had done it before me. So I was like, okay, my sister's on this trail you know, man, it's kind of like a challenge, right? <laughs> I got to be able to do the Colorado Trail. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really get serious about it until when I first attempted it. That was back in 2017. That's when I really first got serious about long distance hiking. That's interesting because you said earlier on that you, you know, you heard about the PCT and the AT and you wondered what kind of people do this? I mean, who, who would do this? And then, and then your sister right. does the Colorado Trail and you're thinking to yourself, well, if she did it, you know, certainly I, I, I need to be able to do this now. And, and yeah, and I, I couldn't even believe that she did it. You know, she, uh, I think she had a, I think she had a, I think maybe she had quit her job at the point. I can't remember exactly, but I was like, wow, you're going to take off four weeks and hike this trail. That's almost, almost 500 miles. That, that's crazy. But she did it. She did it. And I was like, you know, she, I remember her telling me that she was hiking, you know, averaging over 20 miles a day. And I was like, wow, how, how is it possible? How can anyone walk more than 20 miles a day? I never walk more than maybe eight miles in a, in a day, right? Or maybe five miles in a day. That's right. Crazy Depending me, on the right? day, right? Yeah. 20 miles in a day, or, you know, over, you know, mountain passes in, in Colorado. And that seems crazy. And did she really enjoy it or was she like, is she one and done or, you know, what was her, what was her reaction afterwards? I think for her now, you know, she's got kids now, so it's a little bit different, but I think for her, she enjoyed it, but she told me that I think her husband kind of pushed her to do it, to finish but towards the end, she kind of just wanted to get it done. So I think that she hasn't gone on a long hike since then. And uh, I think she's kind of like, you know, she's kind of rested on her laurels. She's kind of like, I've done the CT. I'm, I'm ready to kind of, you know, relax. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Right. All right. And before we go to break, let's, uh, let's also hear how you pay the bills currently. I think you alluded to it earlier. You're a scientist. Tell us about that. Well, I don't know if I should say I'm a scientist. I have done some research in the past, but I, I'm currently a, a science teacher. So I, I teach in, uh, I was saying before, I think I teach in downtown Manhattan at a, uh, at a school. I teach uh, what's called IB chemistry. So I teach there. Um, I also teach theory of knowledge. I also have a background in philosophy. So I've also taught philosophy uh, at the college level as well. So I kind of have a eclectic background, I would say, a bunch of different interests. But yeah, I am currently a teacher. Nice. And if you're working uh, with high school students and you're teaching scientists, I'm calling you a scientist because that, uh, scient okay. <laughs> that you are right. definitely a scientist. You know, I, I didn't teach science. I taught English, but uh, it was also at the high school level oh, and wow. I have a lot of respect for educators. That's good to know. I mean, you have a lot in common then. For sure. Absolutely. We like hiking. We were both, we're, we're both teachers, educators. So yeah. I knew I liked you. All right. Awesome. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And then I, I understand you have, you have some stories for us that I'm really looking forward to. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. 
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Yo-Yo. And what I really appreciate about you, appreciate about you Yo-Yo, is in our, our uh, pre-interview discussion, our back and forth correspondence, you, you really give me a, a good list of discussion points with specific types of stories. And you have you know some very, very specific examples here that I, I just can't wait to hear about. And I know that you mentioned earlier on that your first hike was in Rocky Mountain National Park with your sister. And the first discussion point we have here is, uh, Rocky Mountain National Park and the moose. And so I'm always intrigued by moose because they are huge. They are large animals. And I think the people who have not seen them up close don't realize that, that they're that big. I mean, they are, they're, they are large. Yeah. I, I remember, uh, we, we got there actually it wasn't with my sister, it was with my wife actually. Okay. So yeah, it was my wife, but, uh, she had dropped us off there. We had gotten to, uh, I think it was the Tana Hutu trailhead. I don't know if you've been in the park before, but uh, we had just gotten a permit and I remember talking to the ranger and we we're, you know, saying how many miles a day should we do? And he's like, you know, maybe try for six or eight miles a day. So we said, all right, we'll hike in uh, maybe three miles the first day. And for me, you know, that was a new backpacker. So we hiked in uh, and we set up next to this Creek and, you know, we kind of had the, you know, you have the, the mountains there and, you know, got the Creek running by the campsite. As soon as we got to the campsite, uh, we saw moose, a whole herd of moose kind of walking around, you know, they're pretty close. I would say maybe like 20 yard, 30 yards away. And I don't think at the time I really realized what a moose could do to you. 
I was more worried about bears and I was kind of a little bit freaked out actually about bears. So, you know, I, I did the, I did the bear hang, right. That's kind of how I started out, you know, I did the bear hang and then this is actually back before they acquired canisters. So I did the bear hang, uh, we got into our tent and then at night I get woken up and hear something walking around the tent. Right. And I thought for sure it was a bear. So, so what did I do? I had, you know, I had my trekking poles next to my, you know, tent so I could pull them out, you know, and use them as a weapon or something. And I had, I think I had a bunch of rocks. You know, I figured I'm going to pick these rocks up and just kind of throw them around. Right. And hit whatever's out there, kind of scare them away. And I remember I got out of my tent, I think it was got out to pee and I see uh, these two eyes that are just kind of glowing in the darkness. Right. And, and they're, they're literally, you know, taller than me, probably, you know, like six feet off the ground, not a tall guy. So probably six feet off the ground. Right. And then I realized it's a moose and he had to be, I would say maybe 10 feet away, if even 10 feet away. And I just remember I, I, I could not go back to sleep. I, I went back to the tent. I, I tried to sleep and I did not sleep the whole night. <laughs> that was my first night on the trail ever. Now, hang on a second, Yo-Yo. Yeah. So you, you hear something. Out. Well, tri- first yeah. of all, a little, little trivia. Uh, the more deadlier, the more deadlier, that's, uh, that's repetitive, that's redundant. Uh, the deadlier animal between bears and moose. More people are killed by moose each year than by bears. That's what I discovered since then. But, I, you know, you, you know, first-time hiker, you're worried about the bears. Right, One says, absolutely. You know, what about the bears, right? And, 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 in Rocky Mountain National Park, are they grizzlies or are they black bears or brown black bears? bears. Black, black bears. bears. Okay. That's, so they're not grizzlies. And, you know, and they were part of the canister now. So I guess I've gotten to be sort of an issue to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the, the fact that you heard something walking around and then later on you get up to pee and you see this animal, not that far away from you. And it's a large animal and a very large animal. Yeah. You, you just get back into your tent and go back, go back to sleep or try to sleep. I can't even remember what happened. You know, it's been a long time, but I think, I think maybe I, I kind of yelled at it. I think eventually it left. Okay. And I figured, but, but I did realize it was a moose. And so that helped a little bit because I didn't know it was that dangerous, but then I just, I couldn't go back to sleep. I thought from the way you made it sound that you, the two of you maybe made, made eye contact there that night and you kind of nodded at each other with, with mutual respect and said, okay, you go sure. your way. I'm going to go my way. I'm going back in the tent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, no, I couldn't sleep. That was, that was my first experience. So it was, it was rough. I was trying to figure out, you know, how do you sleep on the trail? How do you get comfortable? You know, I was, I was cold. I was worried about bears. You know, I had the rocks, right? I could throw the rocks at them, but th- that's why I was always obsessed with getting my food as far away from my tent as possible. Right. I didn't want to be, you know, I, I always check my pockets. I would check my, my pack, make sure I didn't have any wrappers left over. Well, that sounds like a you pro know. tip. Yeah. Some trail wisdom right there. Don't, don't sleep with next to your food. Well, well now I sleep with my food. So <laughs> it's a, I'll have to, I kind of changed my approach. So being on the, you know, PCT and so forth, but yeah. Now is the lack of sleep from what you think is out there or is the lack of sleep from just trying to get comfortable? Because I always toss and turn the first couple of nights on the trail. You know, I think it was, I can't, I think I can't, both. I can't fall asleep. I don't think my sleeping pad was comfortable. I don't think my sleeping bag was comfortable. I don't think I was you know, comfortable just being out in the, you know, in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Right. It was my first night on the trail. So I'm kind of a little bit nervous, right. I'm just kind of like wondering what's going to happen. Right. I mean, I get eaten live by a bear. I mean, what's going to happen. 
right? There's got to be bears everywhere, right? And the trail, that's what Roman says, right? There's bears yeah. on the trail. I almost imagine you getting out because you're so preoccupied with bears at that point. You get out of the tent and you see this, this very large moose with eyes higher than yours. And you, and you think to yourself, oh, thank goodness. It's just a moose. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> it's not a bear. <laughs> there could be a bear out there. There could be a bear out there. Good thing my food's way over there, you know, hundred, you know, because they tell you you got to have, you know, a triangle, right? You got to have your tent here. Maybe you cook over here and then you have is a hundred yards, I think, is what, it, what they said. Mm-hmm. You got a bear bag over here. Right. Oh, right. I have right. Hey, actually about that as well, but about bear bagging, why I stopped bear bagging actually, but should I tell you now or you tell me now let's hear it. Okay. Well, uh, I was actually, this is 2020. This is when I, uh, basically through hike the Colorado trail and I got lost. First of all, the only time I've ever gotten lost. So I, I had just done, I think about the first 40 miles on the CT. And I remember, you know, it was pretty dark, you know, I'd done a long day and I had, uh, set up my bear line, right. As you do, you know, before you go to sleep, put your bear line up. Well, after I ate dinner, I went out to hang my bear bag and I couldn't find the bear line. And I wandered around, you know, I was looking around, uh, you know, away from my tent. I had, all the thing I had was my headlamp, not even my phone, not even gut hooks. I just had my headlamp and short. You know, I didn't even have like a jacket on. Just short, you know, just like I was dressed for the day, right? And I got, and, and then I, and I realized I couldn't find the bear line. So I said, all right, I'm going to give up. I'm going to go back to my tent. Well, then I couldn't find my tent. And I started walking in circles. And then I remember just, I said, okay, I'm just going to walk in one direction. I'm going to go hundred paces this way. I'm going to head back. I tried that in multiple directions. I still got lost. Everything looked the same. And I was to the point where I thought I was just going to have to literally lie down and just spend the night on the ground with nothing, no shelter, no, pretty much no clothing, just a headlamp, no water, no phone, no gut hooks. Scariest thing, honestly, I've ever had, you know, on the trail, you know, just getting lost away from your tent in the middle of the night. And what happened? Did you, did you survive? I did survive. So what happened is uh, I just started walking. I said, look, I'm just going to keep walking. It might be 10 miles. It might be 15 miles. Eventually, I'm going to hit a road. And I'm just going to follow that road to the nearest town. And I think about 50 yards later, I hit a fire road. And then I went right back to my tent. I was only like 100 yards away. But it was scary. <laughs> wow. Scary as heck, I bet. Man, that, that scary, is, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Never happened to me before. How about so sense? from now on, I'm always going to have my phone with me. So I've got gut hooks, right? Or whatever, far out is what they call it now. But Right, right. Yeah. So no, nothing else, no other getting lost experience since then either? No, I think, you know, I haven't really done anything crazy. I've stuck to the major trails. So I've always been, you know, well, I, I did get a little bit lost getting to the PCT this summer. Uh, it's past summer. We could talk about that. I don't know if you're going to talk about it now or later, but. Well, let's, 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 uh, let's go, let's go to the next story. We'll hear about the PCT in a little bit here. Let's go to the next story you've got here on the yeah. list. And that is uh, another one that is really intriguing. Big, big bend national park and saving a guy's life. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of people know about big bend, but you know, growing up in uh, Texas, more, it's East not, Texas, it's not the clock in London, is it? No, no, it's way out. It's, if you, it's actually about, you know, I lived in Houston. It was about a 12 hour drive West. I don't know if, how people have been in Texas, but it's a pretty big state. Uh, it's kind of yeah. California. You can drive for 13 hours and not leave the state. Yeah. And we're talking so, about big bend with big a bend D National on the end. Park. Big bend. Right. Yeah. Big bend. And 
Uh, you know, it's right on the Rio Grande, uh, almost in New Mexico, near the Texas-New Mexico border, uh, almost that far west, uh, but going obviously going west. So there's a there's a trail, there's a small mountain range there called the Chisos Mountains, and uh, very large black bear population, very large mountain lion population. In fact, if you go there, you will see signs that say not to take kids on the trail, because there's been stories where there's a story where a child was uh, in a parking lot with the parents, I think maybe five or six years old, and a mountain lion grabbed them, you know, by the face and dragged them in the bushes. So they tell you not to take kids on the trail. There's signs everywhere. Uh, and, you, you know, you walk along and you see, you know, all kinds of, you know, evidence of black bears. There's, you know, just, just scat everywhere, right? You see, you know, evidence everywhere. Uh, you know, so walking that trail kind of had, you know, so it's kind of a loop that comes from the Chisos Mountains in the desert called the Outer Mountain Loop. And in the desert, there's not really any water. So uh, there's one really small trickle or stream that goes through. Uh, so remember carrying lots of water. Um, so what happened is that we were hiking the, the loop, right? And so we went out there and we were going to camp at the, at the, at the stream, right? And there were a bunch of, I think there were teenagers, probably like late teenagers. Um, and they, one of the guys I think was feeling sick. So one of the guys is going to hike across the desert, uh, maybe like 15 miles across the desert uh, to get to his car and pick up his friends, right? The one that wasn't feeling well. So middle of the night, we're camped out at the, uh, the stream and we hear a sound. Oh, we hear, we hear a sound, somebody calling for help and we see uh, a flashing light up on a hill, probably about a mile away in the dark, right? Uh, and if you've ever done desert hiking, you realize that there's not, it's kind of hard to follow. You're kind of following cairns most of the time. And this is, this is back, I think, before gut hooks really took off. This is kind of a while ago. So I didn't have gut hooks. So you're pretty much just like, I use a map and a compass, that kind of thing, you know, old school. You're just mm -hmm. following the cairns basically. So this, this teenager, he's, he's hiking through the desert. It gets dark. This is the winter time, by the way, December. So it gets pretty cold at night, below freezing. Um, and he's basically out there with nothing but a headlamp, which eventually I think dies on him and maybe a cell phone. Uh, I don't know if he had GPS or not, but he was calling for help. He's up on a hill. So me and these other guys that are camped with us, we end up uh, going out and getting this guy, you know, going off trail and you know, going through cactus and getting all ripped up and so forth and brought him back to camp and put him one of the tents. And he was so shaken up. He was just completely, you know, just like. I don't know what happened to him. I mean, it would have been really cold. Uh, you know, there's lots of mountain lions and bears out there. It would have been a really cold night in the middle of the desert. And it's, I mean, we could have potentially saved his life. He had no water. He had no shelter, no food, no, you know, no, no, no sleep system. It's just a cell phone. Now, Yo-Yo, I was waiting for you to tell me that he, he was out there looking for his bear line and couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah, that would have been me. <laughs> uh it's kind of hard to bear bag in the desert though there's not a whole yeah, lot of right? trees right yeah to find a couple of tall saguaros yeah well they didn't have a whole lot of those there well i'm trying to remember mostly just rocks and like smaller you know shrub shrubs and stuff kind of like scrubland kind of thing so yeah i don't know it would have been a rough night for him for sure mm-hmm now, with you on the East Coast, uh, I understand you've done some section hiking of the AT. Is it a goal to, to do the entire AT uh, as a section hike or to do the whole thing as a through hike? What, 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 uh, what do you think about that? I think I mean, right now I'm more focused on, I think, the PCT. So mm -hmm. uh, I definitely would like to do, you know, 
I live in the New York City area. So for me, uh, you know, it's kind of like easy to hop on the AT and do some quick section hikes. So I think eventually I'd like to do maybe the section the whole thing, probably not through hike it for right now. Uh, I think the PCT might be my first long through hike that would be my first goal, but uh, maybe eventually, maybe eventually. Yeah. And I mean, working people, I mean, it's tough to find four or five months to take off and do a, a, a PCT or an AT or a CDT as a serious time commitment. And uh, oftentimes our jobs don't allow us to that kind of uh, flexibility and freedom to do that. Well, I'm pretty fortunate as a teacher, you know, I get a lot of time, you know, not four or five months, but well, I do actually maybe four months, it's not continuously. So right. uh, I do get, you know, a couple of weeks for spring break, you know, just got back from spring break about a week ago. Uh, and then I've got the summer two and a couple of months in the summer. So it is enough time to do, I think more of a medium length trail, like the CT Colorado trail, uh, or to do section hikes, which is kind of what I've been doing uh, on the PCT uh, starting last year. Mm-hmm. But I definitely would eventually like to uh, to do a full length, a long through hike, which would probably be the PCT. Now, so, what about what about like an eight pound eight pound pack, and uh, you know, trying to do an FKT or you know, running the PCT, you get it done in less than three months? Yeah, I guess if you're pretty crazy, you could do that. <laughs> that doesn't sound appealing to you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The AT is <laughs> hard. I don't know. The AT is hard. Uh, yeah, I just got back. You know, I just did a little did a section hike. Uh, well, did an overnight trip this past weekend uh, with uh, Quadzilla, actually, who you've had on your oh, podcast. Are you serious? Nice. Yeah. We met up. We met on the PCT last year. So, uh, yeah. Did you tell him you're coming on the pod? I did not. I don't think I. I don't think I did. I can't remember. Okay. I did tell him that I watched the episode uh, on the pod with him. So very cool. I didn't mention that. But yeah, we. I, he's doing the CYTC. That's you, right. As you, as you know, and so yep. yeah, we did uh, some miles in New Jersey and. and crossed over to New York a little bit, the border. So yeah, this was, past weekend. Yeah. His, his was his, his April fool's joke was one of a couple that I fell for that day where he said he posted on his social media that he was quitting the calendar year triple crown attempt. I was devastated. I said, no. And then I realized no, I, didn't, I didn't, buy, I didn't buy that. I didn't believe it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I'll go out for weekend hikes. Uh, I'll go out. I'm planning to go back and rehike the whites in July as maybe as a, to give me shape for the PCT, but man, mm-hmm. the AT is rough. AT is hard. Yeah. You know, I started, yeah. I started hiking out West in Colorado. So coming out to the AT, I was like, man, this is, this is a tough trail. Yeah. And it's deceptive, right? Because if, if you haven't experienced it, if you're just going by the numbers, yeah. you know, there are much higher mountains in the San oh, Juans yeah. or in the Sierras right. and you think, okay, there, it's not as high on, out on the AT. How, how hard could it be? But from what I have gathered from talking to many, many people who have done the AT and also the PCT or other parts of the country, the AT is no joke. There's a lot of up and down and there's not a lot of help in the form of switchbacks. Yeah. You know, I just got back from California. I was there for a couple of weeks uh, for spring break and I did the trans Colina trail and coming back to the AT, I was like, man, this is a hard trail. Just, it's so rocky. And you know, you're, if there's roots everywhere and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and this past weekend, I was just kind of, almost wading through a swamp. There's a sprint, you know, the trail was covered with water. So it's dealing with all kinds of issues, right? A lot of rain on the, on the AT, as you know, you don't get that on the PCT, right? Right. So it's a tough trail. Yeah. And since you mentioned it, let's jump, let's jump ahead real quick to the trans Catalina trail. One of, one of, uh, one of my favorites, I've done it a couple of times. I'm scheduled to do it oh, again this summer. Oh, wow. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, what, what'd you think? Well, you know, I just discovered it recently. I don't think I knew about it until, um, you know, I, I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned Craig Adams, but he, 
he did a video on it uh, on YouTube. So Twig Adamson, he uh, he did it. So I saw that video. I don't know, maybe a few months ago, and I was like, I was in Seattle in California. So I was like, you know, what can I? I was, you know, went to LA mm-hmm. uh, to go visit a friend. And I was like, well, what can we do out there? What's you know, we we dr- uh, we drove around and I did some some day hikes like in Desert Valley and uh, Death Valley and so forth. I was like, well, yeah, it seems like an interesting trail. It's it's kind of a unique trail. What I uh, I've never really done a trail where well, I've never hiked on an island before. Right. And I never camped on a beach other than car camping. So for me, that was kind of a different experience. Oh, the other thing was different was the uh, was the bison. Did you see right? any, did you see the bison on the trail? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's signs oh, everywhere. I, I, yeah. I, I've said this. I've said this a couple of times on the podcast. So my regular listeners, forgive me, but I'm going to say it again. There are lots of signs that say you know stay at least 80 feet away from the bison. But the yeah. problem is the bison don't know how to read. So when you wake up and camp in the morning and there's one standing there, I mean that's uh, that's pretty well, exciting. Well, here's the thing. When I got when I was hiking the trail, I saw you know a whole herd of the bison, and they were. Uh, you know, first I saw them on the side, but then when I got to a certain section, I think it was right before Little Harbor. That's where I, so I did the trail. I guess I did Little Harbor and then I went to Parsons Landing. I don't know if you mm-hmm. camped there. Yeah. But yeah. I they were they were right in the trail. And you know, I've dealt with cows on on the Colorado Trail. And there's a lot of cows like on the CDT, for example, right? And you normally for cows, I just you just kind of yell at them. It's what I've done my experience and they kind of move away. And I tried that on the bison and it didn't really seem to work. And they, right. kind of, you know, they kind of sat there and <laughs> I started getting close and I, and I was, you know, I got, I got my camera and I put it down. I was, you know, to do my little yo-yo thing. Right. And then I kind of realized maybe I should get too close to these guys because they weren't backing up and they started, you know, pawing the ground. And one of them started to kind of, I almost want to say bluff charge a little bit. So at that point I was like, you know what, I'm not going to do that. You know, I sat there for maybe 20, 20 minutes and did a little negotiation, but it didn't work out. They didn't listen to me. So I eventually just kind of had to do a detour kind of on the side of a cliff just to kind of get around them. I don't know what else. I don't know what you're supposed to do with bison. I've never encountered them on a trail before. So. Well, I think you definitely made the right decision. If they are starting to bluff charge you, you should probably, you know, move away from them, try another route. Uh, you don't want to, you don't want to get charged by a bison. That, that could be dangerous. Yeah. I, I'm just, I mean, imagine a bison is probably worse than a moose, right? I mean, they've got how much do they weigh? A lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Yeah. Um, now you, did you only camp at Little Harbor and uh, Parsons? Yeah. Yeah. I only camped there. So I did it in. So you, you, you went right through blackjack and just kept going to. Oh yeah. I, I went to Little Harbor the first day. Nice. So, wow. That's some yeah, serious yeah. mileage. Yeah. The, uh, well, what's interesting about the trans Catalina trail is uh, there's a lot of elevation gains. So even though the total, I think the highest point is around 1700 feet. I did do the extent. I, I kind of extended the trail and went towards the Northwest end towards, uh, Starlight Beach. Starlight Beach, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually go down on the beach because I didn't want to regain the elevation, but I went up to Silver Peak, which is a it might be the tallest. I don't know if it's the tallest peak, but it's kind of off the official trail, but it's along that uh, okay that little extent, that little uh, alternate, basically. Now, but which, what I noticed which... is that yeah, a lot of elevation gains. So you're you know you're climbing, you're going up from sea level, and then you're going right back down, kind of like the AT. You go up and then you go down. So right, it's not an easy trail. No, it's not. And, and not a lot of switchbacks either. I mean, it, coming out of, coming out of, um, uh, what is the name of the town there that you start out at? Uh, Avalon. That's right. Avalon. Sorry. Yeah. I drew a blank. Starting out of Avalon, I think going up uh, past Hermit Gulch, there's, there's some, some switchbacks, but, uh, um, there, there is like straight up and down in other places. Did you prefer Little Harbor or Parsons Landing as a campsite? Uh, I would say Parsons Landing. Cause you definitely, 
the thing about the Transcalina Trail is it's not as remote. I mean, you're going to pass through, you go by an airport, right? Where you have like a restaurant. So right. you don't actually have to carry very much food. You go there and you go to, you go to Two Harbors, which is another town and you have, you know, got a restaurant there. So it's kind of more of a, kind of a luxury trail, right? I mean, a lot of people there, you know, they're on vacation, right? Right. So, and there's porta potties too. You're not digging holes. So, right. So it's, it's kind of a luxury trail. Um, it might be a good, I mean, but on the other hand, you know, doing a lot of the elevation, so it's not an easy trail, but, um, but yeah, Parsons Landing is the only one that's actually remote or primitive. Uh, I say that although they, they do bring you, one thing I should mention, there's no water on the trail. So you've got to carry all your water, but they do deliver water. You pay to 20 Parsons. bucks and actually bring you, yeah, to Parsons. That's right. That's right. They bring you the water and yeah, I've never done that yeah. before on a trail. I, I tell I tell Mrs. Doc that, you know, Trans Catalina Trail is, that's glamping really. And, but she, yeah. she's still not interested. She, she is not, not bought into the through cult, <laughs> the, the, the through hiking yeah. cults. So it's a short through hike, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a through hike. I mean, you're, you're, miles, you're hiking all yeah. the way through. So there you go. Yeah. It's a through hike. You're going from one end of the island to the other. Right. Now, where, which, which campsite did you have at Parsons? Were you at one end of the other? Or were you in the middle? Uh, I think it was in the middle. So right, right when you get down to the beach, you know, mm-hmm. right from where the uh, where you get the water, I was right there. So, yeah. And, and they give you firewood as well. So I don't normally build fires, you know, when I'm when I'm hiking because I just only just hike long days and get to camp and then go to sleep. Yeah. But this is kind of you know, like you know a luxury trail, so I went ahead and built a fire. Just kind of so it's surprisingly colder and hotter than I expected. You know, so it actually got pretty warm in the day. Uh, the thing with with the uh, the island is that you have this this I think it's almost like a permanent cloud inversion. So once you go above the clouds, and you look down, and you see all the clouds, and it's the temperature difference is a lot. You know, it's a lot hotter on top than it is down in Avalon. That's right, like the cloud cover, right? Yeah. So it's kind yep. of interesting. No, nah, great trail. I loved it too, and I love Parsons Landing. I think that was that was my my favorite campsite uh, on the on the trail. So. Are you in, are you in the area? Are you in Southern California? I assume. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm about 40 miles North of Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, for you, it'd be super close. Yeah. So when I met magnet for dinner last night, magnets on the PCT right now, I met him for dinner in Acton, which is about yeah. 25, uh, 25 minutes away from me. So. Okay. All right. Hey, let's, let's go back. I know we, we fast forwarded there cause you mentioned the, the trans Catalina, but let's go back. I want to talk about the Colorado trail. You mentioned it earlier. Your sister had done it. And you uh, were not successful your first time, your first couple of attempts doing the Colorado Trail. You want, you want to tell us about that? Yeah, I was not. I, you know, I started out, um, well, I guess maybe I'll talk about the motivation. Uh, so this is back in 2017. I found that my dad had gotten a type of cancer, leukemia. And so I think at that point, I, you know, I, like I said before, I've been thinking about hiking these trails and I just realized, you know, life is short. You got, you got to kind of, you know, kind of go ahead and take the opportunity. So I think that that kind of pushed me over the edge to go ahead and attempt it. And I think that, you know, I hiked, that's where I got my trail name in the first hundred miles or so. And I, and I had hiked with the trail family and I, I made it, I think about 175 miles, which was uh, the longest I've ever hiked continuously, you know, in any trail before, because prior to that, I'd only done like weekend hikes, right. I'd done like, you know, you know, 20 miles, 30 miles, you know, two or three nights, but never something that extended. Um, and I think, I think I, f- I felt like maybe mentally I wasn't quite there. I wasn't quite ready to, to finish it and I need to get, go home and take a better thing. So I think for me, I kind of got out of it what I was looking for, you know, had some time to kind of think. Uh, and that's one of the things I like about, you know, hiking is through hiking is, or long distance hiking is just the opportunity to go back, you know, reflect on your future and, you know, we're headed in life and so forth. And so I feel like, you know, at that point, mentally, I just needed to, 
I kind of gotten what I needed out of it at that point. And then I decided to go back home and having my sister in Denver, I just realized, I was like, all right, I'll just come back and finish it the next year. So that's kind of what was, that was kind of my, my, uh, plan. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you spent a lot of time in your head out there. I mean, yeah. even when you're hiking with somebody else, you guys normally, someone doesn't hike at the same exact speed as somebody else. Usually, you know, a quarter mile, half mile, mile ahead you know, or behind somebody. And you're out there, you're doing a lot of time thinking and sorting things out. And a lot of people yeah, are working on stuff out there. That was my first time to ever hike solo. Hmm. And that for me was a big step because I remember just doing all, all my trips, I think prior to that had been with other people. Right. Right. So just hiking solo was, that was a big change for me. And I did get a trail family, but uh, you know, as you know, on the trail, on a long trail, I'm not going to be constantly with them, you know, might maybe That's in right. camp, but not like, uh, you know, with them all the time. So I think that was definitely kind of a new experience for me is, you know, getting a trail name and, and experiencing what the trail life is like. Mm-hmm. And so tell us about your successful through hike of the Colorado trail. Why? Well, what I did is I, so I came back in 2018 and then I uh, picked up where I left off and then hiked through uh, the collegiate West. I took the West route, which I definitely recommend. Uh, you know, it's much higher elevation, but the views are just amazing. And then I uh, went to, I think it was Lake city. So, and then at that point, what had happened in 2018 is there was a bunch of fires and they had closed the trail. The rest of the trail from there to Durango was actually shut down. Um, and I think actually, so I'd already booked a flight back home. And then I, when I got to Lake City, I realized they had just, uh, I think they might've just reopened the trail, but at that point I already had planned to, to leave the trail. So I just you know went ahead and went home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I came back in 2020 and then just, you know, rehiked it, so, you know, started over, started at Waterton Canyon and then uh, through hiked it in uh, 2020, basically. So okay. that was, that was the year of COVID. Right. So that was an interesting year. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of my experiences. So I, I've hiked it, I guess, um, almost twice, not quite. Okay. And what, what is your, your proudest accomplishment on the trail? Of all, all the miles you've put under your trail runners, what, what do you look back at and think, you know what? I, I did that. I, I am so happy that I did that. I think for me, it was the Colorado Trail. I mean, doing that, I think, uh, you know, the first long trail and, and spending many years in Colorado, you know, I've been, been backpacking there for years, you know, visiting my sister in Denver. I think, you know, being really familiar, I mean, kind, of, kind of my second home, Colorado's kind of my second home. So doing that trail for me, was important because, you know, I'd already hiked many of those sections and, you know, been down to the Wemenuchi, the San Juans, you know, I spent a lot of time down there and all over the state. So I think for me, that was kind of the, uh, you know, I had to do this. I had, I had to do the CT because that was kind of the first box I had to check. And it's definitely a trail recommend for everybody because it's, mm-hmm. you know, when the nice thing about the CT is not, it's not super long. So I think enough people can usually get off enough time, you know, to hike the CT uh, you know, maybe a month or so off work, but maybe not enough time to do, you know, like PCT or AT, right. That, that's something going to have to be a longer commitment. So I feel like for me and for a lot of people, it's a good first trail, at least in my experience. Okay. Um, now, Yo-Yo, what has the trail taught you either about yourself, about the world, about other people, any, any, uh, insights that you've gleaned? Definitely a lot. I mean, I'm always trying and what I'm always, you know, trying to apply what I learned on the trail, I think for one, definitely, you know, with the gear uh, becoming, uh, you know, kind of realizing what I need, what I don't need, uh, I kind of became sort of a minimalist in my home life, right? So, 
in the past, I would, uh, you know, I wasn't too focused. I, I kind of collected a lot of things. And I had a lot of possessions, but then I realized, you know, being on the trail, how little we actually need, right? We don't actually need have two of this and two of that. Um, so I think I just kind of like went through, you know, my home and I was like, I don't need this. I don't need that. And then started to try to apply those lessons. Right. And the other thing that the trail teaches you is about, you know, just, you know, perseverance, endurance, you know, you got the ups and downs of the trail. So I feel like that's obviously, you know, a lot of, you know, what you see, you know, see out there on the trail, a lot of people, I think can relate to that. And then, I mean, for me personally, it just gives me a lot of time to think, right. Like as I mentioned before, it's time, right. this mental space that I don't have, you know, we live in a world where, uh, we're often glued to our screens and especially now in the time of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, my job, you know, I was on zoom for almost two years, you know, seven or eight hours a day right. and not something I really enjoy. So, um, I think, I think that was, you know, I just kind of need that mental space. Right. You know? That's interesting. For me is, yeah. I love, I love to hear that, that you, not only you're a minimalist on the trail, but a minimalist at home. What was your, what was your, uh, base weight on the Colorado trail? Uh, well, let's go with the last time that I hiked it Yeah, when I, when I started, when I actually completed it successfully. So, um, I think that time it was around, uh, it kind of depends on what camera gear I bring, but probably around maybe seven and a half pounds plus camera gear. So maybe around nine pounds, I kind of switched out cameras. So I think initially it was like maybe eight and a half. And then, uh, I bumped it up to, uh, maybe nine around there which is kind of, kind of heavy, right? <laughs> yeah, camera well, gear, so seven, seven pounds, seven and a half pounds without the camera gear. I don't know if that, if that bumps you up a couple of points in the crazy scale or, or deducts a few more points. I, I'm, I'm kind of the, the jury's out on that right now. I will never amazing. hike above 10 pounds. I will never have a base weight above 10 pounds. So if the camera gear gets too heavy, I'm just going to have to leave it behind. But uh, my camera gear now weighs over two pounds. So it's about a third of my, third of my base weight. It's a wow. big percentage. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just the camera gear. So, okay. Yeah. Hey, what is next for yo-yo? What's the next adventure? Uh, well, well the PCT. So I, you know, I started, uh, well, sectioning it this year. So I started, I got on the PCT last year, um, uh, southbound. And so I hiked up to the terminus, uh, tagged the border. And then I was originally going to go to uh, Cascade Locks to finish Washington, but I, I finished at Snoqualmie Pass. Uh, so my permit for this year is to go from Snoqualmie, finish up Washington, and then go to the California border. So basically go through uh, Washington, Oregon. That's okay. 700 miles for this year. That's, that's the plan. Fantastic. All right. Hey, Yo-Yo, you know where we are? Uh, where are we? Or at the end. <laughs> or near not the end. Not quite the end. Okay. Not we quite are. End. It's time for. The pro tip insight of the week. That's right. This is the time where I turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us? Well, for me, uh, you know, being an ultralight minimalist, I'm going to have to say you should, you should weigh your food. One, one of the things that I realized that, you know, when I first started getting into ultralight backpacking and spending all this money on gear. And I realized that a lot of people spend hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars, you know, trying to, to save, you know, an ounce or two, right? And then I realized also that I always ended up carrying more food than I needed. So, you know, as a scientist, I kind of, you know, wanted to try to be more efficient in terms of what I'm bringing with me. So all what I personally do, and I don't say it's for everybody, but I personally send boxes for everything that I'm bringing. So I'm uh, at home. That, 
and that's also for I, so I can control what I'm eating and I try to eat healthy on the trail as well. Uh, I most pretty much have a vegan diet on the trail as much as I possibly can. So I'm pretty much vegan. So I, I try to uh, incorporate that as well. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm eating those healthy foods uh, and, and trying to make sure I'm getting the, the kind of foods that I want. So I, I'm generally uh, weighing all my food at home and then I'm uh, applying the formula. Do you want, you want to know what the secret formula is? Do you want to know what it is? Yes, I do. There's an equation. There's an equation actually. Oh, I love it. I love it. An equation. Okay. So what I figured Does it involve out- astronomical units or the height of Mount Whitney? It doesn't involve either of them, actually. Okay, all right. It doesn't involve a scale, so you have to weigh your food. Uh, so I don't count calories. I do try to get food that is high in calories, but I multiply, I figure out the number of days using a spreadsheet, and that could be a fraction depending on if I'm having you know, breakfast at, uh, you know, in town or dinner in town, and then I multiply times 1.4 pounds per day. So I actually got this tip from a book uh, there's a guy named Mike Clellan. He's got a book. I highly recommend it. It's called Ultralight Backpacking Tips. And it's got a bunch of cartoons in there. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but have you heard of it? I have not, but it sounds intriguing. It it's a good book. So in there, he mentions this equation. Okay. And in, according is, to him, it, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's 1.4 pounds per day. And that also, obviously is going to vary with, you know, body type, you know, weight, right. Uh, you know, how far are you going to go? And so what I might do is I might start with, you know, 1.4, I might bump it up uh, to 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, depending on how many miles I'm going to do. So on a long through hike, you might need 1.7. Okay. Or you might need, depending on what you're going to do. So 1.4 is your starting point and you kind of adjust as needed. I only weigh 150 pounds. So it works for me. So maybe if you weigh 200 pounds, you might want to add a little bit more. But, uh, I think, I think just a general idea of just being, and even if you don't weigh or if you're just being conscious of what you're actually carrying. Mm -hmm. And, and realizing, you know, this is just sort of my mentality in general in life is just being conscious, right? Being aware of what we're bringing with us, being aware of what we bring out of the trail. Mm-hmm. And I think that just kind of doing that self-assessment, then you're more conscious of what you actually need the next time, right? So I, I kind of take notes and I, I use a spreadsheet and I kind of, you know, take notes. Um, you know, I didn't eat all this food. I didn't eat this or next time I need to bring more or bring less. Usually I need to bring less. I actually don't mind. I don't mind actually losing weight. I'll go in town and I'll regain that weight. So I, I just don't want to carry the weight in the trail. <laughs> no, Yo-Yo, I'm not surprised that your pro tip included some kind of analysis. I kind of yeah. get that vibe. I'm a, yeah, I'm a scientist. I've got to analyze. I've got to, I've got to make calculations. That's right. Got to be quantitative, right? Outstanding. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Yo-Yo. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Yo-Yo, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? So I would say, you know, Instagram, I just started recently in the past few months or year posting them regularly. So Yo-Yo on the trail or Yo-Yo, I think it's underscore on the underscore trail. They just put Yo-Yo on the trail. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, small YouTube channel, and I haven't posted a whole lot on a regular basis, but I do definitely plan on posting more videos also called Yo-Yo on the trail as well. So you can check me out there. Those two places, I would say. Okay, great. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. David, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. And I don't want to leave out half calf here. I forgot to push the button. Here it is. The Adventure Media Recommendation. (laughs) 
There you go. We're officially in it right now. So what, what do you have for us? Well, I've been listening to a couple of things. I, I think maybe I'll go with the, uh, the documentary that I mentioned, uh, Through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's called Through, and it's a documentary about the PNT. Uh, and if you guys don't know what that is, it's a Pacific Northwest Trail. So uh, it's, I think, produced by Andy Laub, who's done the PCT. He's got a video on YouTube of that. And also Peter, I think, Hochhauser is how you pronounce his name. He's an Austrian guy. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen his video. Uh, this is not a beautiful hiking video on YouTube. No, I haven't seen it. Okay, so check it out. But I'll check that it's out. It's on the PCT. Yeah. So they recently, and I recently had this probably like three years ago, but uh, hiked the uh, the PNT Pacific Northwest Trail with the intention of producing, you know, high quality documentary about the trail. And so, you know, they brought all kinds of stuff. You know, I think you know all kinds of cameras and a drone and so forth. So. Um, that's available on outside plus I just started I just started watching it uh, recently like a couple of days ago and it's really good so if you're looking for a film that's kind of like uh, I don't know that it's coming out in theaters but more of like a feature type film that's one mm-hmm. that I would definitely check out it's called through through on outside plus yeah yeah it's called okay. through mm-hmm. great suggestion and that brings us to our last segment what have we not asked you I'm not sure what that accent is, half calf. I, that, that's just I, I kind of changed three times in the middle of that. Uh, before we wrap things up, I've got just one more segment for you called "What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About." What did we miss today? Um, are you thinking about an experience, or this is your I, opportunity I, to share share a, a last tidbit with us? So, whatever you want to share. I guess we could talk about the PCT. So last year, uh, like I think I mentioned before, I. I hike as part of the PCT Southbound in Washington. I think uh, that was an interesting experience because um, because of the fires at Hearts Pass. So I don't know if mm-hmm. you meet how, how well your uh, yeah how well your listeners are familiar with with uh, PCT, but you gotta to get to the, the border, you've got to uh, you gotta get to Hearts Pass, where you gotta you gotta start 30 miles south of the trail and you've gotta hike north. And so uh, it turns, but in this case, there uh, because of the forest fires, Hearts Pass was closed. Okay, so the only way to get there, uh, and the, most of the, the Sobos that I ran into or messaging, they were actually going down a rainy pass, which is 60 miles south of the border, and then just heading south and skipping the terminus. Uh, ter, ter, uh, terminus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pretty much determined to get there. And so I, I looked on the map, and, and I, I went to a hostel uh, in Cedar Woolley, which is in northern Washington, um, called the Highway 20 Hostel, and looked at the map and then realized that there was – there's an alternate and there's a way to get there from uh, Ross Lake on the PNT. And so I did spend, you know, I hiked, I don't know, maybe 10 miles of the PNT. Uh, I got a little bit of taste of that, but I think for me, uh, the issue was I, I actually ended up getting lost in the first, in the first two miles, I had to take a side trail. So I'd take a side trail to the PNT, then to the PCT, and then, you know, then go to the terminus and head back. Um, so the, the, I got dropped off by the, uh, the trail angel. And I started walking and then I can't find the trail. And, and here's the thing. I didn't have gut hooks. I didn't have GPS. What would you do without gut hooks? Right. Or, or far out, whatever they call it. Right. Right. What'd you do? All I had is a picture of the map and I have my phone, which I guess I could use as a compass. And I ended up uh, running into this girl that she had, she was doing like, I think a weekend trip and she had Gaia, which I've since downloaded, but I didn't have it at the time. And, uh, she kind of, we kind of both got cliffed out and uh, ended up getting stung by hornets. And, and it was crazy. It was a crazy day. 
<laughs> and I remember doing, you know, I had the, you know, I thought I was just going to jump on and, and do 20 miles, you know, out of the gate, but I think we started around two, but I only got in like eight miles that day. It was rough. And it was like a six, 5,000 foot climb uh, up there. So I think that would just kind of wipe me out. And that was, that was my introduction to uh, not quite the PCT, but I guess I eventually got to the PNT. And then, and then I realized, man, this PNT, this is, this is some serious stuff. Uh, I just remember, you know, again, I didn't have gut hooks. I remember, so, so many blowed on trees everywhere. You're just, you're constantly going around trees, underneath oh. trees. It's, it's not, it's not That's miserable. PCT. It's rough. Yeah. And yeah, even when I got on the PCT going, going southbound, uh, once I tagged the border and headed back, there's a lot of blow downs. There was not a lot of trail maintenance. And, you know, you go on the AT, you're going to see, you're not going to see a lot of blow downs. You're going to, you know, the trail is hard, but you're not going to be a lot of trees. Well, I was just constantly climbing and just going around, going underneath. Uh, and I was like, man, I got a lot of respect for people to do the PNT. It's a rough trail. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. Now I think that sounds wild and and miserable at times. And I think it's a testament to the, the benefit of spending time in nature and the positive impact it has on you, because even despite, you know, being stunned by hornets and, and getting lost and being, getting cliffed out and having to go around and over and under all these blowdowns, you still find yourself coming back out and doing it again. It's still cool. You, you didn't bring a first aid kit with you because you're too much of a minimalist. And the last time you accessed it was probably three <laughs> years ago. I looked at my pack and I didn't realize I didn't, I didn't have a really a first aid kit. That wasn't very smart, but yeah. Oh, Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't have an allergic reaction. Now, that's what I was worried about. Is, am I going to have, you know, anaphylactic shock out here? Am I going to you know, die of a hornet sting in the first day on the trail? My dad would have said that there's, there's first aid kits all around you. Just rub some dirt on it. You'd be all right. Yeah, I, you know, I was really surprised at how remote the PCT is. I don't think it had cell reception for 220 miles of trail until I get down the Stevens Pass, you know, including the, the yo-yo to the, to the terminus and back. Uh, See, so he can, you can pick up some Wi-Fi in a tree or in the, by the general store. You can pay, I think, five bucks to have it for a few minutes, but there's not really much. You're pretty remote out there, actually. I was surprised how the PCT is pretty remote. Wow. It's kind of out there. It's pretty wild. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Frickymere studio. Any shout outs to friends and favorite family? Yo, yo. Yeah, I would say a uh, shout out to my wife for putting up with me and, and letting me go out on these, <laughs> these, these crazy trails. Um, shout out to all the people that I've met on the trail. I've met so, so a lot of my people that I know that I, that I know and still hike with today. I've met on different trails. Um, shout out to all the trail angels that have given me rides, uh, you know, give me a place to stay, give me food, trail magic. I really appreciate that a lot. So I definitely want to try to reciprocate and give back, give back to the trail. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've come face to face with a moose in the middle of the night. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the duck camp dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This 
is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.